With that said, I know you'll be blessed and enjoy the, the play and let's go ahead. Nazareth has been charged with being involved with sorcery, witchcraft, and other black arts, claiming that he is the Son of God. Thank you. How do you plead? Very well. First witness. your name and occupation. Well, shouldn't I swear on some? We've been over this already. Just do what I tell you. Name and occupation. Name's Jacob. Friends call me Big Jake, pig farmer. You do a good business raising pigs? I used to. Used to? Yeah, we did good till, till he come along. By he, I'm sure you're referring to the accused. Yep. What did he do? Well, there, there's this place down there by, by the Sea of Galilee where, where we keep our pigs. They, they got good mud there, Your Honor. Why do you keep your pigs so far from the house? Well, that's silly. You ever smell the pig? <laughs> well, anyways, down there where we keep our pigs, uh, there's these two crazy fellers that, that run around down there, and they, they try and scare everybody. They chase them and they yell at them. They run around and cut themselves with these sharp rocks and stuff. And and uh, they just kind of kind of scary fellers. Uh, us town folk went down one time. We put them in chains and, and they just broke the chains. So we steer real clear of them. Uh, anyway, so uh, he that Jesus feller. He 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 and some other boys come along in a boat and they get out of the boat and they come up on the shore. And them crazy fellers go running up to him. And we're thinking, oh boy, here it goes. And, and they just drop right to their knees bowing before Jesus. Interesting. So you're saying that they recognized him. They even gave him honor by kneeling to him. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, all right. 
So then what? Well, so these crazy fellas run up to him, and next thing you know, just boom, bop, these two fellas is just right as rain. They, they're laughing and smiling and hugging each other. And, and the funny thing was, is then all of a sudden my pigs, they, they started getting real crazy. How do you mean? Well, they started biting each other and, and squealing and squattering and trampling each other. And next thing you know, they, they done run, run off right off a cliff into, into the sea and drowned. Interesting. And you witnessed this yourself? Well, no, I was at home at the time and, and one of my, or yes, yes sir, yes ma'am. I was a witness, I saw it all, I, I was a, an eyewitness. An eyewitness, and now you have no pigs. Got nothing, it's his fault. Would you be willing to say that he did this by some satanic power? Well, I don't know if I'd go that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'd say it, it was it was something like that. It, it uh, I, I think he's operating under the power of, uh, of Betty, J B Billy, Billy Bob, Beelzebub. Thank you. No further questions. Anything you would like to add? No. Anytime you want to speak up, just let me know. Next witness. Please state your name and occupation. Actually, I would like to speak with you about the terms of my testimony. <laughs> I'm sure I don't know what you mean. You know. You said I give my testimony. I'm and sure you give me I don't know what you mean. We'll talk later after the... <laughs> my name is Boaz, and I am a potter. And what is your relation with the accused? A very loose one, I'm sure. Get on with it. Well, let's see. It would have been about three years ago. That's right. I'm about to celebrate my third anniversary. And that's when it happened, at the wedding. When what happened? Well, the, the, okay, the long story is this. It was my wife's and my wedding day. Well, she wasn't my wife yet, but never mind. Well, actually she was at this point. Get to the point. Okay, sorry. It was the reception after the ceremony. Now don't get me wrong. Most of my family are very moral, God-fearing individuals. But everyone's got a few black sheep, if you catch my drift. Enlighten me. Well, we weren't more than two hours into the festivities when we ran out of wine. Actually, come to think of it, it was my wife's relatives that- I'm not gonna say it again. There I am. I'm wondering, what am I going to do? I don't want to look cheap. When all of a sudden people were coming up to me, asking or telling me that, uh, and congratulating me on some great tasting wine. I was wondering, 
did someone go down to the store? But then someone came up to me and told me what had happened. They said that this Jesus fellow over there had him put some water in the jugs. And may I emphasize, it was well water. They put the water in the jugs and he did some little hocus pocus on them and he turned the water into wine. Interesting. And then what happened? Well, like I said, everyone was coming up to me congratulating me on such great tasting wine, saying what a great host I am. What was I supposed to do? I didn't want to cause a scandal. I took credit for it. But I can tell you this, I've never had him over to the house to see my wedding paintings. So would you be willing to say that he was only able to do this via some satanic power? I don't know any other explanation. I mean, I love a good sleight of a hand trick as much as the next guy. But turning water into wine, that's a little creepy. Thank you, your witness. Oh wait, so sorry, I forgot. You don't have anyone to defend you. You may step down. Next witness. your name and occupation. Lazarus. I'm a weaver. And what is your association with the accused? <sighs> I, mean, I, I don't want any trouble. <laughs> Neither do we. We just want the truth. Now answer the question. Well, he's been over my house, maybe spent the night a couple times. Uh, and? He raised me from the dead. What was that? What did you say? He did what? He raised me from the dead. So you're suggesting to this court that you died and this Jesus brought you back to life? I really don't know how else you can take it. So what happened? How did you die? Oh, <laughs> well, it was like this. There's this quacky doctor in our town. I mean, I, I wouldn't really go to him, but he was the only one that we've got. And he put me on this, like a, it was a high fat, high carbohydrate, really low protein kind of diet. And, uh, and uh, one day I was just sitting there weavering away. And next thing you know, I got pains in my chest and Everything just went black. Oh, but you didn't just black out. Oh, no, 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 no. No, you died. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, after a few days, I mean, it was really painful. And then what? Well, 
remember all that, that happened, but I was sick, and I think while I was sick, because they, they had to tell me this, while I was sick, my sister, they called for Jesus to come. To heal you? I don't, I don't know if it was to heal me or if it was just because he was our friend. <laughs> How touching. So I'm sure that as soon as he heard you were sick, he came right to your side. Oh, what am I saying? Of course he did, since, since you're such great friends. No, no. <laughs> no. No. Four days dead. No. Like stinketh. He waited until you were dead. Four days dead. What were you doing for those four days? I, I can't talk about it. I, it's one of those, no, I, I, I can't even, I can't, I can't say what I saw. Fine, I'm not supposed but to. you will agree that you were not just sleeping. Oh, no, 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 I wasn't, no, no. So, Jesus shows up. Yeah, Jesus shows up and, uh, I mean, I'm dead. I'm stinketh, four days in the tomb, and they roll the stone away, and then there's a voice, and I know, I know it's Jesus' voice, and he says, Lazarus, come forth! And next thing I know, I'm hopping out, and all these, like, bandages and stuff are just falling off me. Have you seen anyone else like you be raised from the dead? No. So you're saying that you are the only case of someone being raised from the dead the way you have uh, I've heard of others. We're not here to deal in rumor, Mr. Lazarus. <sighs> to raise someone from the dead would take some pretty substantial spiritual powers, wouldn't you say? Yes. But, but he's, he's very... Mr. Lazarus, would you consider yourself a godly man? Absolutely. Can you raise people from the dead? No. Neither can I. Neither can the judge. Neither can any one member of our jury. There is only one reason and one explanation for these events occurring, and they all point to the same thing, that Jesus of Nazareth is in the company of devils. That's not true. I'm done with this witness, and I ask that his last comment be stricken from the record. But So ordered. You may sit down. Any more witnesses? Do you not want to answer to those who accuse you? What about this other charge, that you claim to be the Son of God? It's strange for an innocent man to stay silent against such accusations. Is this what all your teachings amount to? Silence in the face of evidence? I have spoken openly to the world. And I always spoke in the synagogues and then the temple where all the Jews came together, and I spoke nothing in secret. How dare you address me that way? Am I one of your followers that you can treat me with such disrespect? Answer me. Do you say you're the Christ? If I answer, you will not believe. And if I ask you a question, you will not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man shall be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Are you the Son of God, then? Yes, I am. What further need have we of testimony? We've heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Blasphemy! He claims to be the Messiah. He must be put to death. Guards! Take this liar to Pilate. You just signed your death warrant. 
members of the jury, I thank you for your time. Wait, wait! I was wrong, I was wrong! What is your problem? I betrayed an innocent man! Well, that's your problem now, isn't it? Take it, please, take Judith, it! Judith, keep your money. He's already been convicted. Convicted? What have I done? The bailiff, please excuse the jury. What am I supposed to do with this? I don't know, but we can't keep it. It's blood money. So what should we do with it? I don't know, but we have to get rid of it. Are you sure we're doing the right thing? People like this Jesus are a dime a dozen. Yes, right now it's a big deal, and maybe we bent the rules a little bit to get what we wanted, but trust me, in a year or two from now, no one will even remember his name. Now come on, let's finish this.
Amen. He is risen indeed. What I love about that video, too, is we see in the play where, and, you know, keeping in mind that it's, that it is just a play, but, you know, and there was some comedy in it, but truthfully, when we think through it, there was nothing funny about what Jesus had to endure and what he went through. And I love the video because, you know, it, it takes us from that court or from that court, from that trial, and it brings us through to what the outcome is. You see, they thought that at the time that they had won, right? Satan thought that he had won, but Jesus knew. As we look through the story of these false witnesses, uh, again, we're going to be reading tonight through Matthew 26, uh, verse 57 through 68 is where we'll end. So let's start, and it's the same, the the scene that we see here is the same scene uh, that we'll see in Mark, that we see in in Luke and John, and obviously we're going to be in Matthew. But as we start in verse 57, it says, And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. But Peter, Peter followed with him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard. And he went in and he sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests, the elders, and all the council sought false false testimony against Jesus to put him to death. We watched tonight as a series of event, events unfolded. And really they were unusual if you break down what happened and if you think through it. Reading through some of David, uh, David Guzik's commentary summarizes it really well and it bears repeating uh, here tonight. What we saw tonight was a nighttime trial and it was illegal according to the Sanhedrin's own laws and regulations. So according to Jewish law, all criminal trials, they had to be uh, in the daylight, right? They had to be from the morning to before the sun went down. Was that the case here? No, that was only one irregularity. The nighttime trial was illegal according to the Sanhedrin's own laws and regulations. Again, and therefore, the decision to condemn Jesus, you know, it had already been made. We see that on there. We, we saw that tonight. It had already been made. So they conducted a second trial, and we see that in Luke twenty-two sixty-six through 71, because they knew the first real one, right, had no legal standing. And it was only one, again, of many irregularities that we saw that night in the text. Another one, according to Jewish law, criminal cases could not be tried during the Passover season. No, we're not going to follow that law. What about only acquittals? According to Jewish law, only acquittals could be issued in the day of the tri- or the, for, during the day of the trial. Guilty verdicts had to wait one night to allow the feelings of mercy to rise. Jesus didn't get that opportunity, did he? According to Jewish law, all evidence had to be guaranteed by two witnesses who were separately examined and did not have contact with each other. Did we see that play out tonight? According to Jewish laws, false witnesses was a fall, being a false witness was punishable by death. And nothing was done with the many false witnesses that we saw during Jesus' trial. According to Jewish law, here's another one. A trial must always bring forth evidence of innocence first, and then evidence of guilt second. We certainly didn't see that either. These were the Sanhedrin's own rules, and it was abundantly clear that in this case, it didn't matter. 
In their eagerness to get rid of Jesus, they broke their own rules. If we look at Mark's account, we can see more detail in the witnesses' testimony. Specifically, Mark 14.56 says, For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Testimonies didn't agree. It's because it was a lie. Because they knew what they were doing. They had the lie. They had to falsely accuse him. It's just like we witnessed on stage tonight. What do you think the common theme of tonight's play was? If we could summarize it. You think it was fairness? Is that the theme we use? Is that the emotion we could ascribe to by what we saw up here and what we read in the text? What about justice? Do we see that at all? No. As a matter of fact, do we even is truth even a factor here? Is anybody even seeking truth? See, these men had determined to convict Jesus already in their hearts. He was guilty to them because they hated the threat that he posed. So they wanted to keep power. But Jesus didn't come to judge us as they came to judge him. He came to set us free, church. Verse 60 goes on and says, uh, but found none even though, talking about the witnesses, uh, that they didn't find any. Uh, and even though many false witnesses came forward, they found none. But at last, two false witnesses came forward, it says there in verse 60. And it's interesting to note that the Bible says at last two false witnesses. That was a magic number. That's what they were looking for. Moses says in Deuteronomy 19.15 that you have to have at least two witnesses to establish guilt. If you read in Deuteronomy 19.15, it says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits. But by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be established. See, that's what they were looking for. That was their aha moment, right? They found their two witnesses. That was their, we got them. And it's almost as if they were just throwing witnesses at the wall, right? Knowing that we'll get two in here. We'll get two to, to accomplish what we need. Think about the definition of corruption. Would you all agree that what we saw here and what we read in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, that we could say for sure this is corruption? We can, right? Absolutely corruption. Definition is a dishonest or illegal behavior, especially by a powerful people. There's several other ones, but the point is we understand what corruption means. I was reading something this week uh, from J. Warner Wallace. Many of you may know who he is, but he's a homicide and a cold case detective. And he's also, also an apologist. Um, and in his career as a cold case detective and in a homicide detective, he says that all murders can be attributed to one of three things. Every one of them. When you break down the motives and the reasoning, they're all going to fit in one of three categories. And that's financial greed, so greed, lust, and the pursuit of power. One of those categories. Do we see any of that tonight? Did any of that play a factor? Pursuit of power, greed. By a show of hands, and, and again, this is just, you know, if you've known of a situation personally, but by a show of hands, how many of you have personally known or been uh, intimately affected by somebody who acted corrupt or corruptly? Just in your life. 
a majority of us. Why do you think that it's so easy for us to be corrupted? What do you think? Sin. Where does it start? It's in our heart. It points straight to the heart. It starts in my heart. It starts in your heart. As it did with the men convicting Jesus. John Dahlberg Acton put it very well, and it's a, it's a uh, quote that you may have heard before, but power corrupts, but power, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? It's conveying the opinion that a person's power increases with, as their uh, moral sense diminishes, and we see that here. We know the reason because Jeremiah 17.9 tells us the reason. It says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Preparing for a message, and I enjoy doing this because I, part of what I do for a living is teach in oil and gas industry. And I like looking up statistics because they just, they help my mind relate to whatever topic it is that I'm teaching about. And so while researching for tonight, I was able to count 225 high-level public corruption convictions since 2010 in the United States. From January to July of 2018, there was eight high-profile public convictions in New York City alone. We choose sin. We choose corruption. But God chose us, amen? As Jesus was standing there in the presence of the accusers, do you think that he, was he just a man? We know this. But was he just a man? No. Think about that. God was standing in the presence of men that were lying, that were corrupt, and that were falsely accusing him. Think about, think about what God could have done. And think about what he chose to do. He chose to stay there. He chose to endure all that the cross meant. All punishment that was required for the cross. He chose that. Not for some group of people back then, but it was for them too. But for each and every one of us today. And that's the beauty about a sacrifice. Is it's not just the sacrificial lamb, but it is the sacrificial lamb. That one sacrifice that echoes throughout all of eternity. And touches every facet of creation. That's how much he loves us. Verse 61 goes on and says... The fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and build it in three days. Now, of course, Jesus is talking about the temple as his own body. Uh, and, you know, he was saying, destroy the temple in three days and, and I'll rebuild it. And, but they're using this phrase and they're saying, well, this is what you said. You said you would rebuild the temple in three days. That's crazy. What are you talking about? You know, we've been building this thing for 46 years and you're going to rebuild it in three days. Jesus was saying, go ahead, kill me. I have the ability to lay my life down and raise it back up. It, fathom, it just boggles my mind to think that these men were standing in the presence of Jesus. Who was there from the beginning of time. And he chose to go through it. Verse 62 goes on and says, The high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered and said to him, I put you under 
oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. I find, it, it makes me laugh a little bit to myself when I read this, point, this part where they say, we put you under oath to God. Okay, to me. So he was trying to force an answer. He wanted to hear Jesus say he was God. That's what he was looking for. And that's what they needed to hear for a charge of blasphemy. Fair enough. If it was anybody else in history, fair enough, it would be. But it was Jesus that they were standing face to face to. So in 64, verse 64, we see where Jesus responds and he says, It is as you said, nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. See, Jesus knew who he was. Founded the very universe, church. He knew who he was, and he knew where he was, and he also knew where he was going. 60, verse 65 goes on to say the high priest tore his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have of witnesses? Again, this was their aha. Look, now you have heard his blasphemy. What do you think? And they respond and they answered and said, He is deserving of death. And they spat in his face. They beat him. Others struck him with the palms of their hands. And I know during this time of year that like we watched this video tonight and we see Jesus and we see him bloody. But man, sometimes we just water down what Easter means. Sometimes it's really just about the candy and the bunnies and the eggs and we have a good service and we have family over. But church, our Savior came to this world and was broken because of us. Isaiah 56, uh, we see the prophecy that's that looking forward to Jesus. And it says in verse 6, I gave my back to those who struck me and to my cheek to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my, hate, my face from shaming and from spitting. Spitting doesn't really mean it's disgusting in our culture for sure. Uh, so I don't, you know, somebody spits on you, well, then you're asking for confrontation. But spitting is a cultural sign, especially uh, in this time of total disdain and still in, in the world. It's not really the spitting of the saliva as we think about it, but kind of go deep, right? They really get that phlegm up. It's really nasty and disgusting. And that's how they show their disdain, by spitting on them. We saw it in the video. We see it in the scripture. It's just absolute disdain. It's one of the most shameful things, as a matter of fact, that you can do uh, to somebody. And it's easily recognized. You can see it, right? It, it sort of represents a symbolic regurgitation or an intentional contamination. These people hated him. Hated what he said, what he represented, the threat that he posed to them personally and to their way of life and to their status, to their money. And all of this he endured because he loves me and he loves you. Isaiah goes on in chapter 52 to tell about the suffering that Jesus received. And he said, as many as, as, many as were astonished at thee, for his visage was so marred, more than any man that his form more than the sons of men. That's Isaiah 52, 14. See, in the Hebrew, that is declaring that his face was so marred, it was so messed up, that you couldn't recognize him. By the time they pulled out his beard, they put a sack over his head, they beat him, they slapped him, they spit on him, they punched him. His face began to swell. Just the physiological reaction of being struck. 
that he couldn't be recognized as a man or a human. He was just that messed up. And when they were through with him, again, they couldn't recognize him. It was like, think about it this way. It's like looking at him was so shocking to the system. It was so shocking to see that we just couldn't stomach it. Have you guys, has anybody ever watched one of those uh, trauma shows? And I know my wife is shaking her head. She loves those. Um, but the trauma shows on TV or you go by an accident and you see something so, so jarring, so, so just disgusting that you just can't look. You wince, right? That's, that's what he'd look like. You just had to turn your head. And Isaiah was saying that's what it was like. Well, it's as if it were we were hit our faces from him. Okay. But he goes on to say he was wounded for our transaction. He was bruised for our iniquities. Paul speaks in Philippians 2 about selflessness and showing humility. And he continues in verse 5 to show just a little more clarity as to what God went through stepping down out of heaven. Verse 5 starts and says, Let this mind be in you, talking about how we can mirror his example, uh, which also uh, in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in his likeliness in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the cross see Jesus had to die he had to die and i held that hammer in my hand we held those nails to his wrists his hands but there was no other way we couldn't keep the law. We can't keep the law. We see copious examples of that in the Old Testament. If you've ever done any study in the Old Testament, it's like there's a pattern. Kind of obedience, complete disobedience. Kind of obedience, complete disobedience. It's just, it, we, don't, we can't do it. We're not capable. Jesus knew he had to come. He had to. As gruesome and as dark and as corrupt as the events that placed Jesus on the cross where it was the only way. And the question is, how can we personally know Jesus today? See, the gift that God provided can be summarized very simply. Ephesians, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And we're not talking about election here, church. He's given us a choice. We have to choose. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift. Because if I could get my salvation, then I would boast about it. People would see it. Look what I can do. Romans 10, 9 through 10 goes even further and says in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Church, listen to me. God never promised being a Christian would be easy. I think all of us sitting here, sitting there tonight, we can tell ourselves that being a Christian is sometimes difficult. But he stepped out of heaven and he came to offer a free gift to you and to me. And a gift that cost him his life. But make no mistake. Jesus said the world will hate you for my name's sake. There will be persecution. 
Every month on average, looking at some statistics that are fairly recent, 345 Christians are killed for faith-based reasons. This is a month on average. 105 churches and Christian buildings are burned or attacked. And 219 Christians are detained without trial, arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned on average every month. Sometimes we think that, well, one day there will be persecution. But church, have you not known that persecution has been going on since Jesus and before? We're blessed that we're in the country that we're in because we don't know persecution like people in other countries know persecution. We saw that when Wes Bentley was here. Just some of the things, some of the stories that he had. There is a cost for sure of being a Christian. However, the cost of your salvation, of your and my eternity with God was paid on our behalf. And this cost was more priceless, more precious than we can even fathom. Your spouse cannot choose for you or for me. Your friends cannot choose for you. Your family can't choose for you. But you have to ask yourself what your choice will be tonight. Have you reached a verdict? If you have questions, if you want to make that commitment, if you want to know more about the Lord, and maybe you don't here tonight, I would encourage you to come on up after uh, we pray. And I'm going to call the cast up and just uh, so everybody can give them a round of applause. But please don't leave here tonight without accepting the free gift that God has offered us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this, just this time together tonight to enjoy each other's company, to watch this play, but most importantly, Lord, to just reflect and think on the corruption and the, the wickedness that had to take place to send you to the cross. And we know and we recognize that you could have stopped that at any time. You had the ability, but you chose every step of the way to prefer us, to love us, to die for us. I just pray tonight, Holy Spirit, you would stir the hearts in this room. We love you, Jesus. May you be glorified and magnified. And Lord, just help us never to get into that place where the cross loses its significance to us. Where it's just, yeah, I'm, it's a cross and I'm a Christian, but Lord, it's something so traumatic but so necessary. It's a cost none of us could ever pay. In your holy name we pray, Father. Amen. So with that said, I'd like to call the cast up here just because I can and I've got the mic. So if we can get the cast up here just so you can see who these people have. We've, I think we've had, yeah, give them a hand as they come up. And, and what was really cool, what was really cool is we got our pastor, we got our other pastor, we got, where's our other pastor? We got our other pastor. So... Yeah, so that's, that's the nice thing about having a wife that loves to direct play. Get up here. You're up here, too. Nice try. Uh, yeah, see, oh, she did that on, did that on purpose. Okay. <laughs> Is that when we're in the staff meeting, I get to just say, hey, you guys want to do a play? Okay. 
So, hey, it worked out. But I, I just want to thank you guys so much for taking a part of this. There's a, and, and I think we've had, what, five or six practices. Um, they've been after Sunday, you know, on Sundays after church and last Tuesday. Uh, so it's just been a blessing to serve you guys to, and put on a play for you. And I hope that, uh, hope that you're blessed. And uh, be blessed as you go.